Hi, this UCAP episode is a little bit different. It was actually recorded a year ago, in the summer of 2016, but then the press of other things distracted us, and this episode was set aside. We've edited it slightly to take out anything that is blatantly dated, but here it is. We hope you enjoy this UCAP Lost episode. Clear. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> 31 years later, Jeb? 31 years later. One years later, 31 years after the uh, the accident. Now, what does this tell me? What, what what this was a crash in the Andes or something like that, right? What was it? South America. Uh, it was an Eastern Airlines. Uh, I'm guessing, yeah, 727, uh, operating as uh, America. I'm sorry, uh, EAL flight 980. Um, typical CFIT. Typical. Um, um, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to say third world operation, but certainly not North American operation. They thought they were somewhere else. They let down for an approach and smacked into the side of a mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody on board apparently died, um, and um, there were some recovery. Uh, this was a snow-covered uh, mountain, et cetera. There was some recovery at the time, uh, but mainly. Uh, rescuers had to abandon the site um apparently the uh, recorders flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder were flung uh somewhere and buried in snow mm-hmm. and were not located some mountain climbers um whether they were specifically uh um, making an expedition uh to the crash site to look for these relics whether they were um, looking for the site and, uh, um, you know, decided to try to find the recorders, et cetera. I don't know exactly what their motivation or the chain of events was, but they ended up finding uh, at least the cockpit voice recorder, mm-hmm. uh, shreds of it anyway. It's not clear to me. Um, clearly, the recorder was damaged. This was an old magnetic tape uh, recorder, right. uh, which... Uh, is both good and bad in that um, uh, you can piece together magnetic tape a lot better than you can piece together silicon. Right. Um, right. But it may or may not uh, be recoverable. The data on it. So who, who knows? We'll yeah. see. Yeah. So. Just found it interesting, and, and uh, uh, again, you know, this was on land, and and uh, uh, speaks very little about how we might find say, the, the Malaysia Flight 370 uh, um, recorders and, right, and, right. and things like that. Um, but eventually this stuff does turn up. Yeah. And another one recently is this uh, Mediterranean one. What was it, Egypt Air? Um, and didn't didn't I read a report? Um, they found the boxes on, on that one. They talked they about have, them beat up, right? I don't know. They have found and recovered them. Uh, it's not clear. And I, you know, I've yet to see photos of any of this. Uh-huh. Um, and not to say that they're not out there, but I certainly haven't seen them uh, in my normal course of sleuthing. So uh, the latest I've heard is, is both recorders were damaged. Uh, both recorders, however, were recovered, and both are going to Airbus uh, for um, some reconstruction work and then, of course, reading out the data. Right, right. So, 
Interesting. 31 years later. Okay, well, so these things are... You can run, but you can't hunt. Well, yeah, and the Andes one is more archaeologically interesting than anything else. I saw the pictures I saw in that article, the pieces they were showing were, were pretty shattered and smashed, and um, but it is interesting. I'm curious whether or not the fact that they were even able to find it now is a uh, climate change kind of thing. You know, it's like an area that's normally under snow or a glacier that's not anymore. You know, you hear those kinds of stories more and more these days of... Uh, those stories more and more, and, and as lakes dry up, there's all kinds of stuff that are found in the, in the bottom, yeah. and things like that. I guess that um, climate change has had some impact on this. Um, how much is impossible to, yeah. to really tell? Yeah. So, um, glaciers have been retreating all over the world uh, since we started to see the impact of climate change, just like the uh, North and South Pole ice sheets at their peak are much smaller now than they usually used to be. So, yeah, we're going to find more stuff. Uh, the Egypt Air, I did see a photograph of uh, the uh, cockpit voice recorder, okay. which was the one that they brought up first. Uh, then they found the uh, uh, digital uh, flight data recorder a few hours later on a subsequent dive of uh, both back in the tail of the airplane where they expected, both damaged, but more than likely both still usable because of the, the degree to which they seal the electronics inside the box. So uh, hopefully we'll get some data out of those. Yeah, hopefully we'll get some data. The recorders from, from Air France uh, 447 were usable. Uh, there was usable data on right. them. Right, and that was what, a couple of years yeah. later, wasn't it? They were they were. They were in the water two years, yeah. and I think the water was much deeper uh, right. in that instance also. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, it was about 13,000 feet, if I remember right. This is, quote, only, I'm making finger quotes here, only like 6,000 feet. Yeah, only 6,000 feet. Oh, well. So no sweat, no problem at all. Hop in, right. go get that oh, sucker, and yeah. Go underwater, you know. Yeah, congratulations to these guys down in South America. Uh, hopefully somebody can come up with some... Uh, more information that will help further educate us on the uh, final uh, few minutes of that flight. Yeah, yeah. So, very cool. 31 years late. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in beautiful Nottingham, New Hampshire. It really is beautiful now, uh, mid-June, and uh, summer's deaf. Well, it's summer's halfway over, and some people think summer's over after the 21st. But uh, it's uh, it's beautiful up here, and uh, I'm, I've I've sure. I've touched down for one day here. This is my one day home in a three week period, uh, and uh, I've been hither and yon, and and I'm about to head back to yon, I guess. And uh, so uh, came home to change socks. Came home to change socks and spend some time talking to my friends, my two good friends here in the virtual hangar. Uh, that voice you just heard is uh, is Dave uh, Higdon talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. What's up, David? How you doing? Doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. It's uh, TGIF day. Uh, after the uh, fun and games with you guys, I got to knuckle down and uh, and make an appointment and complete some regular chores and uh, hopefully go into the weekend uh, with uh, some fun ahead. Yeah, yeah. You've been working on your airplane? How's that going? Airplane is starting to make more regular progress, I'm happy to say. Uh, the... Uh, the, the sheet metal work is coming along well. I've got a bunch of parts ready to rivet into structures. Uh, 
They uh, finally broke out and got to use the uh, pneumatic rivet gun uh, about a week and a half ago. And uh, that was an interesting exercise because it was not ready to use out of the box like I had been expecting, but had to take it apart and uh, prime it with some hydraulic fluid and uh, put it back together and made a substantial mess of hydraulic fluid in the process. Uh, I'd been smart enough uh, weeks ago to bring a couple of roll of paper towels to the shop, so we uh, got that cleaned up, came back the next day with some uh, kitty litter and dried up what was left and uh, moved on. But, uh, yeah, it's fun. Got some parts riveted up and found out that, uh, boy, this is a, a much easier job pulling those stainless steel rivets with uh, a pneumatic gun than it would be with a hand ton. Mm-hmm. My, my left hand would look like Popeye's forearms if I was doing it all by hand. Yeah. Yeah. We got to play with one of those when we uh, uh, pulled our rivets on the uh, One Week Wonder. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. There just you go. a little pump thing, you know, and it's done. So that was kind of Yeah. Cool. Pull the trigger. It goes. Yeah. And, yeah. You're done. And did uh, so is has it is is the aircraft reached a point yet where you're able to sit in it and go vroom vroom or it, it is actually at that point, but I haven't done that because I'm unsure of the weight capacity of the sawhorse that the fuselage is sitting okay. on. Well, that's your story and you're sticking to it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we want video when that happens. I know, absolutely. Yeah. And my other good friend here in the virtual hangar is uh, somewhere from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. First of all, let me apologize to our listeners here. Clearly, we've reached the point where we need to buy Jeb a new microphone. I think it must be a weather thing. I'm thinking that that, that these microphones must require it to get cold for part of the year, and the uh, the heat and humidity is taking the to- taking its toll. I guess that's what it is. I'm I'm just uh, you know doing my Teddy Roosevelt impression. Yeah, it's something like that. Something like that. How you doing, Jeb? What's going on? I'm fine. Um, um, kind of calm before the storm here of uh, getting another issue of the magazine out the door. But uh, I got some time to chat with you folks today. I got a few people milling around the house doing some work on the exterior and and that kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, it's a day and uh, should be a nice warm one for yeah. us here. So I was hoping you'd fill us in on something here. Um, so long-time listeners, or it doesn't have to be long-time, but listeners over the last six months or so, uh, may have noticed that you were doing some flying. You were off flying a twin occasionally and and uh, just doing some things that we you didn't usually talk about. Um, and uh, and wh- wh- why were you doing all that flying? What was going on? I, what were, you were working yeah, on something. I, what? I was working on something. I was working on a project, and it was a, a long-term project. started a couple, three years ago, actually. And it uh, <clears throat> finally came to fruition a couple of weeks ago. I am an airline transport pilot. Whoa, congratulations. Whoa, congratulations. That's that's great. That's great. What was that process like? What was you know, is that is that a tough rating? Yes and no. Um, first of all, this was for the, the multi engine land uh, uh, class and category of the of the ATP. The ATP comes in a lot of different flavors, just as say a private or commercial would. So you can get rotorcraft, you can get, uh, um, you know, uh, multi-engine seaplane, which, you know, kind of in- intrigues me. Uh, uh, because there are, in fact, some, some multi-engine seaplane airlines out there. But um, the, f- the first challenge was getting the written out of the way. And, and, and we've talked in the past on various episodes about how the, uh, the Buffalo Colgan Air uh, accident several years ago uh, 
resulted in a change in the certification regulations for, for pilots where after uh, a certain point in time, you couldn't just take the ATP written and then go for the check ride. Uh, after uh, uh, 2014, uh, you, if you want a multi-engine uh, ATP, you have to go through an approved course, which is both expensive and time-consuming. Uh, I managed to sneak in under that deadline to get the written out of the way, and then I had two years um, to get the rating. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a, I have, I've had for a number of years a multi-engine land rating on my commercial ticket, and a smattering of hours, uh, obviously, to go with that, but it never really flown twins uh, seriously. That all changed uh, earlier this year when uh, uh, I think we may have mentioned I was out kind of bouncing around on a barren and, and having some fun and, and getting some new experience and, and that kind of thing. Um, that was a time-building exercise because you need 50 hours minimum multi-time for, mm -hmm. uh, for the ATP multi. Um or for the uh, for the uh, time in, in uh, category and class for the ATP, so uh, I spent some time uh, just kind of trying to kill myself in a twin, and um, uh, went uh, uh, found uh, an instructor, found a, uh, you know a, an examiner in, in training environment uh, nearby that I was comfortable with. Thank you again, Jonathan Hardwick, for the vector, um, and. Um, Managed to get through it all. Uh, some, some met some, uh, some new people. Uh, people I, I hope to keep in contact with. Uh, people I call friends, and uh, uh, had a lot of fun. Um, flew, in my book, uh, a mediocre check ride, uh, but I got through it and uh, got a nice little piece of paper in my wallet now that says temporary airman certificate, airline transport pilot. Very, very cool. Um, so uh, Dave and I uh, obviously had some in inkling of this, and, and uh, we actually knew that you passed it a couple weeks ago or a week ago or whatever it was. Um, and I was talking with someone about it, and uh, they asked me something that I was uncertain about, and that is whether or not um, ATP includes CFI privileges. Does it? It does. In limited circumstances, you kind of sort of have to be working uh, for an air carrier, I th depending on the nuances, um, you can, in fact, instruct or sign off candidates for various ratings if you are um, flying equipment uh, for a, uh, a carrier. I see. There, so I think some capability to instruct um, in uh, flight simulator. I see. So you just can't go and hang out your shingle now? and, and, and I, I'm not a flight instructor, and I couldn't, for example... Uh, take on a primary student flying a Skyhawk. That's not kosher. Okay, I see. But there are other limited circumstances of which I'm not fully aware uh, in which an ATP can serve as a, a flight instructor and can endorse students. Yeah. And then finally, do you, um, was this just a, a collecting another rating, expanding your experience, um, or do you have some dream about using this somehow, some way? Yes is the quick answer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, it, you know, it's um, someone turned me on to the term wallet candy uh, yep. uh, recently. Uh, I think it was Mike Hart actually, who, who uh, uh, is, is a longtime friend of the podcast. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it was it was uh, uh, 
you, you'll rem, you'll both remember Dave Whitman. Yes, um, of course. I mean, uh, Jack, you flew with him. Yeah, uh, your, your your late neighbor who had the champ and uh, was very friendly and and uh, yeah, great a, guy. He was a CFI and a pilot examiner and whatnot. Tragically, sadly, he uh, suddenly passed uh, late last summer. Um, he had kind of arm twisted me into. Uh, doing this because of the way the regs changed and and uh, the opportunity that was going to be you know for a short period of time to get the written out of the way and then he's like you know uh, you get some multi time and find a twin and I'll give you the check ride kind of thing well you know, again he he suddenly and unfortunately sadly passed uh, last summer um, and um, I, I you know if for no other reason than I had all this this time and money invested in the written, but I also you know, kind of sort of wanted to, to do it as a memory of, of his friendship mm-hmm. to uh, go ahead and, and, and do this. Um, since that time, and even especially since uh, uh, I passed the check ride a, a couple of weeks ago, um, I've been kind of poking around, seeing if there are some, some job opportunities out there and, and chatting with others. Uh, I've kind of made that transition from flying strictly non-commercial to uh, uh, to flying for money and, and whatnot, and uh, th- there may be some opportunities out there. I'm I'm not looking to up in my life in any way, or or I'm not looking to sit reserve and you know hair for a couple of weeks at a time or anything like that. So I, I don't necessarily want to go uh, uh, to to American Eagle or or Delta or anything like that. Um, it would just be too much of a, of a lifestyle change. Yeah, well, but yeah. There might be Part 91 or, or 135 operations around around Sarasota that uh, could use uh, an FO every now and then. Yeah. Who knows? I, I, I picture you as being sort of like an Air America guy who flies spies into Central America or something like that. Okay, That's, that's the job you ought to look for right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's, that would be something, of course, I couldn't talk about. Of course, of course. I'm sorry. One, one, this is now really my last question on this subject, and that is, do we now have to call you Captain Burnside? Absolutely. Okay, that's what we'll do then. Congratulations, Jeb. That's awesome. It's, uh, it's uh, something to be proud of. It is, and uh, uh, anybody uh, out there who uh, uh, has has uh, an interest in doing this, um, or just adding a, a rating generally, just because. Um, they're, they're curious about what it would take. Strongly encourage it. I'd be happy to, to chat with you about how to go about it or something like that. But uh, um, it's always good to, to add a new rating. Yeah. And on top of that, adding a new rating is a uh, valid uh, replacement for an old-fashioned biennial. It, it absolutely is. And I you know, I got kind of got a double uh, whammy on this one. Not only did I restart the, uh, the flight review clock, but uh, came with an uh, – an instrument proficiency check. Uh, so, you know, all of those clocks got reset. Um, I've got a bunch of multi-time now. Um, I, I actually, there, there will come a t- point here in the next 30 days or so where I will not be current single-engine land, but I will be current multi-engine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm guessing you'll take care of that, but uh, yeah. Take care of that, yeah. Uh, but uh, again, a lot of fun, um, and um, uh, we can talk, you know, more about it. Uh, some strong recommendations um, for flight instruction, uh, and uh, just generally having some fun in an airport nearby, and, and uh, 
Yeah. It is what Very cool. Way to go. Very Way cool. to go. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Speaking of flying adventures, um, some folks just completed, just the other day, completed quite a flying adventure down in uh, Antarctica, uh, right? Uh, what was the story on this? Uh, I think this was Jeb's story on the list. but uh, uh, Yeah, there's, there's obviously a year-round uh, installation, research, uh, scientific installation uh, in Antarctica. I'm sure um, there are you know, several of them down there uh, but this time of year it's it's winter in antarctica and winter means like 100 degrees fahrenheit below zero with wind and and all kinds of nastiness um, no sunshine and no sunshine um so there's at least at this one facility uh i think operated by the national science foundation here in the u.s um there's you know a number 50 60 uh, people uh, at that facility um, living their lives doing their work and occasionally you know they get sick mm-hmm. and apparent, <clears throat> apparently we don't know any details for, for privacy reasons but uh, apparently a couple of them got sick enough that they needed to be evacuated only one small problem with that um, there's no way to evacuate them. Right. Uh, it's not routine to fly down there because it's winter down there, obviously. It's the middle of winter, the depth of winter. Middle of winter. It's cold. It's dark. Um, you're not just going to hop in your Skyhawk and, and fly to Sydney uh, or, or hop on a, a, seven, a 777 and, and fly home. There's no service like that. So um, there was a Canadian company, the name of which escapes me. Uh, Ken Boric Air. Um, that has a couple of twin otters, and uh, they got the contract to literally fly from Canada to the South Pole, or not necessarily the South Pole, but certainly Antarctica, um, and evacuate um, these uh, these two uh, scientists. Basically, this twin otter is the was the only airplane flying on the continent. Yeah, now that's a that's a a, a, a touchstone right there, boy. I'll tell you. It's, that's that's uh, uh, some some uh, some heavy duty stuff. Uh, De Havilland built that airplane just for those kind of harsh environments. Yep, exactly. And you know, the flip side, if if you have a problem and your ELT goes off, hey, wonderful, we know where you are, but we can't come get you because there's no other airplanes flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the whole thing is is to me just uh, incredibly challenging, um, and. Uh, it's, some some uh, uh, some major stones to pull this off. Really, everybody. really. Now, according to yeah, the they had to fly a huge overwater leg to get from South America to the coast of Antarctica. Uh, two airplanes went down. They put one of the airplanes on skis after it got down there, and it made a ten-hour flight from the coast to the South Pole station to evacuate those two people, and then back again. They kept the other airplane in reserve, just in case the ELT went off on the first one. Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, quite an adventure. I remember a couple of years ago um, there was a sort of somewhat similar winter rescue that was needed, and in that case they sent a C-130 down, and even a big airplane that like that it was apparently quite a dramatic flight uh do you remember that incident a couple of years ago? oh yeah Dude, not, not as vividly i do recall that it was a c-130 um and that's what but, i found remarkable about the fact that they sent down a pair of twin otters this time and not you know it just seems like a relatively light aircraft for such a intense mission 
I, I don't disagree. Um, clearly, the, the the Twin Otters were able to pull this off. Yep. And I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall. The decision was made which crew to send. Yeah. Do, do you draw straws? Do you flip a coin? Do you rock, rock paper scissors? Do you pull out your logbook? You know what? What do you do to figure out who's who's best qualified or 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 who should make this? Who wants to make this flight? Oh, I, who 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 gets to put South Pole Station in their logbook? Yeah, for starters, I got to figure that both crews really wanted to be the one. I can't even imagine that 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 either one of them was reluctant. But uh, yeah, somebody's got to make a choice here. That's a you know, it's a choice that's that plays both into the bragging rights of your logbook, but also the the risk of of you know the responsibility for losing a crew. You know, so yeah, tough decision. I agree. Uh, Ken Borick Air has a fleet of twin otters that kind of alternate between the northern polar region and the southern polar region uh, a number of years ago was on the ground in uh, Houston, uh, flown in from California to attend a trade show down there. And there were four Ken Boric Air Twin Otters getting ready to leave Houston to fly the length of South America and then on to Antarctica to relieve the airplanes that had been down there for the summer. They were going to bring people back and then be stationed in South America in case any crisis came up. And it's like, yeah, we do this every year. Oh, my word, what a job. There's your job, Jeb. Yep, there you go. There you there go. You go. <laughs> Knowing Jeb, he's gonna, the flying's going to be in a warm-weather climate, not a cold. But. Well, one thing you won't have to worry about down there is alligators. <laughs> well, there you go. There is that. There is that. I, I uh, I I prefer an environment where shorts and, and flip flops are appropriate, and eh, this isn't it. Yeah. So <laughs> if it's gators or polar bears, you'll take the gators. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of airplanes that uh, don't normally land on land or don't ever land on on uh, on regular dry ground warm you know cold warm ground uh, i don't know this is a, this is a, this is a segue that i had a, i thought it was going to be great and now it's obviously not making any sense at all um cool airplane kind of splashed that one didn't you there you go thank you david uh cool airplane that's going to be at uh, oshkosh this summer david what is it the martin mars water bomber uh it's the largest amphib i believe in the world uh it uh, well, it's not actually an amphib, but uh, right. No, it's it's it's, it's straight float plane, uh, and uh, it's used to uh, fight forest fires. And they're going to have it uh, at Oshkosh. It's going to be doing some uh, water drop demos. So, and I want to see it over at the seaplane base. Yeah, I know. I don't. I'll be surprised if it makes the seaplane base. Do you remember a bunch of years ago? And it's probably ten or fifteen years ago. There was another one of these big. Uh, uh, um, you know, water-only aircraft that, that short visited. Sunderland. Short that's Sunderland. What, that's what it was. And I remember that when it wasn't flying, that one was moored out on the lake there near what the, the, it used to be the Pioneer Inn. The Pioneer Inn's long gone, I think, but uh, it was out there just off from downtown uh, uh, Oshkosh. And uh, I wonder if that's what they're going to do this year because the I'm not sure if if a, an aircraft this big would be comfortable in the waters near the seaplane base. Yeah, I think they pretty much have to. I don't think the, um, um, I'll call it an inlet or a bay or whatever, I don't think the bay there at the seaplane base is large enough yeah. Yeah. 
No, that's yeah. for sure. The question Thanks. is whether they would even moor it offshore there in the part of the lake that's near the near that inlet. And, uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's that's kind of a natural harbor right there out in front of the, the seaplane base. And if you want to keep it out of the as away, far away from wind and weather as you possibly can, uh, that'd be a good place to tuck it in. And it's already on the bus route. That's right. Yeah. So, so but it's year. not coming in. It's not coming into the base, yeah, the seaplane base itself, though. It's way too big to make that narrow gap. No, 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 no. Is it going to be there all week or just part of the week? Do we know that? I don't know. I, I get the impression it's going to be there at least most of the week. Um, someone I uh, uh, talked to recently uh, apparently has um, uh, scheduled a ride on it for oh. the <clears throat> second weekend of the show. Well, we're going to have to track that person down and steal their identity, I think. That's, uh, <laughs> that was my reaction. Yeah. yeah, that would be something, huh? Well, that's going to be cool. That's going to be cool. And well, and there's a video at the link that uh, uh, Jack's going to put up. And to give you some perspective on the size of this thing, watch it from the beginning when a guy pokes his head out of a hatch in the nose to unhook it from the anchoring rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big guy. Is, he is so tiny coming out of that hatch. Yeah. So, and strictly speaking, Jeff is going to put the link up there, but, uh, yeah, we'll get the link up there. And, uh, so well-deserved bragging rights for the seaplane people this year. That's going to be a, a, a cool addition to the, uh, to the fly-in this year. Uh, we got a, uh, off-field landing of the week here. Uh, this is, Jeb, this is down, wait a minute, where is this? Is this down in, where's I-10? Is this down in your area, Jeb? Mississippi. This is Mississippi. What, what was this? This was your story, though, right? Yeah, Jeb. What's the story with this uh, 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 flawless emergency landing on I-10? What happened? I, um, Cessna 150. Um, um, I'm not sure everything that happened, but uh, obviously something happened. Uh, bad engine, and um, pilot declared an emergency, put it down on I-10. Um, no damage to the airplane, no damage to any cars, um, kind of, uh, every, every now and then you, you'll see, you know, whether it was California or, or some other uh, area around the country where someone had to put down an airplane and they put it down on a roadway. Occasionally there's some damage. There was a recent uh, accident where uh, a passenger in a car was killed uh, when this happened when someone had to land on, a, on an interstate or a highway. And uh, this one, uh, thankfully, knock wood, um, no one was injured. There was no uh, paint swap. There were no uh, uh, issues. The airplane apparently could be used again once the emergency situation was resolved. And that kind of struck me as an off-field landing of the week. Absolutely. Absolutely. According to the story from the fox10tv.com website, uh, Jackson County, Mississippi, uh, pilot and his passenger are safe on the ground after emergency landing and put them on Interstate 10. Um, according to the pilot, an engine failure was to blame for turning I-10 into a temporary landing strip. Private pilot Rodney McKnight Jr. I just wanted to make sure to say his name. Congratulations to uh, Pilot McKnight. That's uh, that's very cool. Good job. Good job. What else? <laughs> the reason I had the reason I, t- I handed that one off to you is that uh, I, I just you know so so a uh, little finger wag here at uh, fox10tv.com's website. The uh, that page is so weird and complex that it conflicts with my my uh, my uh, 
my uh, ad blocker and it, it just like went into this weird loop and I couldn't open the page and it was ugly and nasty and uh, but uh, I finally opened it in a different browser. Hey, Mark Twain once said, uh, he famously said, the rumors of my demise are greatly exaggerated. Uh, the uh, Terrafugia he transition. Was dead right about, he was dead right about that. <laughs> yeah, right. So it was in the news that the uh, Terrafugia transition uh, 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 rotable aircraft uh, just got some sort of waiver. Who knows something about this? I've, uh, oh, yeah. They, uh, they had uh, long ago discovered that to meet the uh, highway safety standards that the uh, Federal Highway Administration uh, wants them to meet to make this a true dual-purpose machine, uh, that the uh, transition was going to break the 1,320-pound weight limit imposed on, uh, on uh, light sport aircraft. Now there's a there, there's a uh, not a waiver. There's an exception to that in light sport, and that is if it's an amphib, it can be a hundred pounds or a hundred and ten pounds heavier. Uh, so they said, well, you gave a you, you know you're allowing float planes and uh, amphibs in the light sport category to be heavier for equipment required. Uh, we think you ought to give us the same kind of waiver for the equipment required to put it on the road. And this past Sunday, I guess that would be the 19th of June. That's an odd day for an FAA waiver to get the streets, but that's when it hit the news. Uh, the FAA said, yeah, we agree. So they're given the, the, the uh, transition, the weight waiver. Uh, it's now real close to being uh, signed off as a light sport, uh, a special light sport aircraft. I think it may still have a couple of uh, hurdles to clear to uh, meet the highway uh, rules required of it. But it looks like we could have a real live uh, rotable aircraft that's uh, a, a conventional fixed wing airplane here. Uh, Maybe before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeb? And they've been a long time at it. Yeah. I have nothing to add. Jeb, do you? Not really. Um, it's interesting that uh, the uh, aviation regulations are easier to comply with and or get an exemption from than are the vehicular uh, regulations. Yeah. I so guess. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's uh, Yeah. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some collision standards. There's the airbags, uh, uh, side impact guard beams, but I think the wings being folded up probably helps that. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it'll be interesting to see how this develops, and, and you know whether there is in fact a market for this this type of uh, of I'll call it a compromise. Uh, in that you know we all want a hoverboard, um, but. Uh, uh, more power to them. Uh, you know, it's it's progress. And while regardless of what we all might think about uh, uh, rotable cars, I mean, rotable airplanes or flyable cars, um, this will be interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, it will. It, I'm, I'm anxious to see how this, no pun intended, takes off when it's fully approved and available. Uh, because as we've seen with uh, other dramatically different light sport aircraft uh, the uh, end game isn't always as good as the run-up but then we've seen that in aviation throughout its history so yeah uh, 
I'm thinking of the little amphibia out of California, uh, the icon. Oh yeah, well, that may be. Well, yeah, that's a whole other story. That's, that's a whole other story. We'll do that another day. Another time. Another time. But this is a cool airplane. Uh, this is the Ego. Ego. I just realized when you say it out loud, it sounds like a different word altogether. It's the E dash Go. Uh, I'm, I'm reading a website called Seeker.com, which makes me immediately suspicious, but I'll read it anyways. Seeker.com. A personal plane fits in your garage. The Ego debuted last week, and it's pretty sweet. Um, it's a it's a little uh, 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 canard configured uh, air one seater. Uh, pretty clearly seems to be composite uh, construction, um, and uh, it looks like a little sort of fighter plane version of a long easy almost. Um, it's a pusher prop, and uh, um, I think I think it looks kind of neat. That might be fun to fly. It, it, it's a cute little thing. I, I got to give it that. And the canard and the wings come off. Uh, so you can stow it in the garage. Uh, it's not a rotable aircraft unless your engine quits, and then we're all flying rotable aircraft. That's right, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but it, it looks fast. Uh, boy, you have, should have a great view out of that cockpit. Yeah, you should, absolutely. Um, the story goes on a little bit later, lower down the story. The Ego, designed by aeronautical engineers Giotto Castelli and Tony Bishop, arose out of a design competition nine years ago, and after some crowdfunding and angel investing, the lightweight craft is now officially on the market, it says. Um, is it in the U.S.? Or wait a minute, it's a... Uh... Oh, we had a couple of ultralights back, back at the uh, peak of the ultralight era, they're very similar in configuration to this. Yep. It says uh, it's carbon fiber is what it says here in the story. Yeah, and those were foam and fiberglass. Uh, and this is almost light enough to make the U.S. Uh, ultralight standard. Uh, at 300 pounds, it's a little bit heavier than the uh, – and I'm going to use the safety system additional weight that you're allowed in uh, in, in uh, ultralights that's an extra 30 pounds that they'll give you for brakes and parachutes so 284 pounds would be the upper limit if you had a parachute in an ultralight this is a 300 pound airplane so it's really close yeah, uh, yeah kind of kind of cool take a look um the there um uh, let's there's a neat video with the, there is the, a neat video and moving on from the seeker.com story the actual uh, website for the airplane is uh e-goaeroplanes.com and it's a-e-r-o planes.com um, and uh, take a look it's uh, it's it's kind of interesting I look forward to seeing one of these up close um, and seeing one fly that'd be kind of fun yeah this is um, built and designed in the UK um, and uh, not clear uh, to me whether or not it's uh, compliant with US light sport rules or if it's uh, Know, kind of a one-off uh, compliant with uh, with UK or EU rules. Um, the only it looks kind of cute. The only thing that that gives me any kind of pause is the power plant, which supposedly is some kind of a Wankel rotary engine. Oh, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, yeah. it's not a it's not your typical Rotex or anything like that. Um, the numbers look fairly decent. It's it's uh, light enough uh, um, that it should be easy to fly, etc. I'm just a little curious to learn a little bit more about the power plant. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll learn uh, more the, about it as time goes on. Jeb, David, do you know anything more? 
Well, the numbers that they've published on the website, uh, their own website, and in the story, uh, uh, about a 90-mile-an-hour cruise speed and 300-pound empty weight. So it it would drop into the light sport category, no sweat, no strain, uh, on that basis. So uh, it, I'm presuming that the stall speed is going to be pretty low on that, too, because that's a that's a fairly uh, wide cord wing. I imagine its slow speed is uh, really slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're, we're, hopefully we'll see one in Wisconsin next month. That would be fun. That would be fun. So, David, apparently now it's legal. You can move your airplane building project into an actual hangar, right? Yeah. What, yeah. what happened? What changed? Well, you know, we've seen a number of instances where an interpretation was sought uh, through the FAA's Office of Legal Counsel by somebody in the field. Uh, and the interpretation comes out uh, it, and you look at it and go, do those people really know anything about aviation airports and, and airplane people? And there was an interpretation, I don't know, a year, a year and a half ago that said that building an airplane in a hangar at a public airport that receives federal funds is not an approved aeronautical use of that hangar. I know. What are people thinking? Crazy. Now, now we knew that, you know, you couldn't set up a used car or motorcycle repair business in a hangar at an airport that meets that definition. But uh, the EAA pushed back a little bit, and they said, well, you can take – when it's ready for final assembly, you can put it in there. But we don't want the uh, – we don't consider actually constructing the parts to go together to be an aeronautical use. Well, the uh, FAA issued a revised policy on non-aeronautical use of, of airport hangars uh, back on June of uh, fifteen. And it says it'll take effect July 1, 2017. I got to believe that's a typo, mm-hmm. uh, that it would take effect this year. But uh, anyway, the uh, clarification now ensures that hangars are available for aviation need. You can store other stuff in there as long as it doesn't have to be moved to put an airplane in or out. And building your home built is a considered a legal aeronautical use as long as you're not you know you, you got to use a little common sense here if you're embarking on a home-built project where you're going to be scratch building and spending several years in that hangar that's kind of getting into an area where they're saying no that's not aeronautical use that's fabrication but if you're a guy like me that buys a, a, a kit with all the parts made uh the, the feedback I got from my local FISDO guy was that, yeah, yeah, as long as you can show progress, you know, that it's not just sitting there collecting dust and not being built, uh, absolutely. And if it's a quick build, well, it's a no-brainer because you're down to the to the nubs on it. So we have latitude now to work on our home-built projects in the hangar. But use common sense. Don't move in a metal brake and a press and a vertical drill press and start making scratch parts. And when they say, so when do you expect to fly? And you say, in 10 years, they're going to say, no, 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 no. Right. Now, Jeb, this kind of thing does not apply, never did apply to your hangar. Why not? 
um, privately owned, um, accepting no federal money. This applies to airports that um, uh, the FAA has made grants to as part of the yeah. so-called grant assurances uh, um, that um, are used um, over the have been used over the years to keep open airports. Yeah. No, like Santa Monica. So- it would apply to Jabara Airport here in Wichita, but not to Dead Cow. Right. right. Yeah. So they're both GA airports, but Dead Cow is privately owned and public access and takes no federal money. It takes state money, and the state kind of basically bows to the federal policy. So he's good there. Yeah. Perhaps not as big a change as we'd like, but I guess we'll take any sanity we can get. And, uh, Oh, it was a step in our direction, and yeah. that was a good thing. Yeah, uh, We're starting to reach the end of our allotted time here, but uh, we do have a couple of off-field landings of the week. Uh, a couple more I wanted to talk about real quickly here. I'm going to take the second one first. Um, let's see now. plane landed on the Autobahn in, uh, I guess that must be in Germany, right? I'm going to find the actual story here. Jeb, I think you put this story up there, right? What's the deal here? Um, Just the Autobahn. I found yeah. that. This is yeah. The website is uh, is uh, thelocal.de, which I believe is the Netherlands um, or, or Denmark, maybe I'm not sure. Um, plane hits oncoming truck in autobahn emergency landing. Uh, pilot was flying a single engine Moraine Solnier Rally. I apologize for 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 uh, ruining that pronunciation. Plane over western Germany on his way to Lower Saxony when the engine cut out and the plane instantly started losing speed and altitude. Uh, we noted the problem. I'm paraphrasing now. The pilot contacted nearest control tower, was instructed to land the plane at Elde, uh, a nearby airport, but he realized he wasn't going to be able to make it, and so he uh, decided to land on a stretch of the A2 Autobahn. Um, touchdown, uh, apparently clipped a wing on the front end of this truck, spun around quickly enough to clip the other wing uh, on the same truck, apparently, um, and uh, obviously damaged the truck pretty good, but uh, I'm mean, just looking for a report here. Do you see the paragraph that talks about the condition of the passengers and the, and the people on board? It does say, incredibly, no one was injured in the incident. It says, yeah, that's a, that that's the whole sentence reporting on the condition of the occupants. So, yeah. yeah, police chief says we all got really lucky there. Uh, the passenger in the truck said, adrenaline suddenly shot through me all the way to the tips of my hair. Well, I just, you know, some people like it when the adrenaline goes to the tips of their hair. It sounds so much better in the original German. I know, right. <laughs> uh, the, the plane blocked the A2, uh, which connects several major cities, uh, such as uh, Hanover, Br- um, I, 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 terrible, I apologize, um, we need Brad here, Braunschweig and Dortmund uh, for over an hour. Uh, left queues of up to eight kilometers long. One of these stories had a great line, and is this the one that had the great line in it? I forget which one it was here. And uh, this one, the, the story does refer to the uh, to the disabled aircraft as um, a, a rapidly decelerating steed, which I really liked. That was kind of interesting. And uh, I don't know. Anyways, congratulations to this pilot who uh, it appears to be someone named Jesko Gravmiar. Uh, no, no, he was just he was just commenting on it. I apologize. No, I don't know the name of the pilot, but congratulations to this pilot for getting down safely, even though uh, a little bit dinged up. There weren't any lines in this that uh, got into well, it, you know, 
it's a good thing it was out of gas or it would have caught fire kind of thing. Uh, oh, yeah. I see, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't see that in here. But this is, this is kind of counterpoint to the other, uh, the, the I-10 thing we talked about a few minutes ago, where the, um, so many times these uh, um, landing on a highway, landing on an Autobahn thing, uh, uh, result in an accident, result in, in damage. The I-10 thing didn't. You know, perfect, perfectly good airplane sitting on the side of the highway. This one, unfortunately, did result in some damaged sheet metal. Um, so it, it can go either way is the punchline. Yeah, yeah. And then the other off-field landing of the week we've got here is from uh, CBC News. Let's see, it's cbc.ca, which is a Canadian website, British Columbia. Uh, Pilot 81 makes perfect emergency landing on Glacier. Um, 81-year-old pilot uh, who made an emergency landing on a glacier north of Whistler, British Columbia, is being hailed as a hero by his passengers. Pilot Vern Hanna was on a day trip from Pitt Meadows to Whistler on Sunday morning with two passengers in his single-engine plane when he took a wrong turn down a mountain valley. Oh, this is not an off a force landing. Well, obviously a force landing, but not like a... Uh, let's see now. He's talking a little bit about... Uh, uh, interpreting a map valley was too narrow to turn um so they decided to just land on the glacier and uh, and they did this uh, i yeah i'm kind of surprised that this th- then didn't turn even into even more of an emergency you know because i mean you know landing on a glacier has got to be maybe these can you know i got to admit the canadians are a hardy breed all right and uh you know it's like sure you know you know, we we landed on a landed on a glacier, eh? No problem. Um, and, but okay. landed on the glacier and uh, and uh, and then got rescued. Um, you know, good good job getting on the ground safely. Any comments? Be interesting on this, to see if they be interesting to see if they uh, the recovery effort on that airplane that musketeer. Yeah, I would think that if they if they don't if it's not worth lifting out, they're not going to get it out of there. Um, so uh, it sure. Not, pick, go ahead. You're not going. Wait for <clears throat> excuse me. They're not going to be able to wait for the spring thaw. Yeah, I think because yeah. wait a minute, this just happened, right? So yeah, right. Uh, yeah, this is uh, the story's dated uh, uh, June seven. So, uh, um, but uh, it's really funny because these pictures show it, it looks like a beautiful spring day, yet they're on snow, you know. And uh, um, so I, the, the pictures, and I guess I should probably read the story, but why start now? Um, that <laughs> shows them um, um, leaving notes, writing notes on the airplane. Um, you know, it says something like, we're okay walking to highway south, which if you're going to walk away from the airplane, that's a smart thing to do. Um, yep. The, the rule I was always taught is don't leave the airplane. But maybe the, maybe the rules are different when you're on a glacier that far away from anything else. Right? Well, the, the rules are the rules. Um, if you're going to leave the airplane, uh, you need a good reason, and you need to leave a note like these people did as to where you're headed, uh, how many of you there are, that kind of thing. Um, staying with the airplane um, may or may not be the right thing to do. Yeah, I guess. I mean, and if they know the area, they may know better um, about, you know, uh, you know the, the, the Yeah, the note, note says that they're walking south to the highway, so... They uh, they apparently had a pretty good idea of uh, how far away they or how far they had to go to reach civilization, but before they got very far, a rescue helicopter showed up, uh, guided by De Havilland Buffalo. So uh, all is well that ends well. That's right. The other thing 
here is that he needed only another 500 feet or so to clear this ridge. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah. But, you know, you take the wrong turn in the mountains, and, and this is what can happen. That's right. And I never did see an elevation in this. So I don't think there is one in the story. Cause I, it, it would be interesting to, to figure out, you know, what their climb rate was and, and all that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, but, well, is there a Canadian NTSB kind of thing happening that we could look up? Not now, but eventually later on. Eventually, there probably would be the, the the Transportation Safety Board in Canada would probably look at this one. Um, but um, again, the, the, my question: Are they going to airlift this this bird out of there? It looks like it was minimal damage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some, you know, for you know, get a get a heavy lift helicopter in there it can't the thing can't weigh more than a ton um and uh drag it out somewhere i guess oh yeah um, empty weight on a musketeer is about 1800 pounds mm-hmm. not much more than that even if it's got fuel and some headsets and right yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. cool very cool congratulations right. to them yeah absolutely Shout outs. Any, any, any landing you can ski away from. Uh, I'm sorry, walk away from. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Shout outs. What do we got here? Jeb, what, what's on, some, a good I, friend of the podcast. Um, I just saw this this morning and I'm um, happy to report a uh, longtime friend of the podcast and, and personal friend of ours, uh, Comanche Sue uh, in the forums, um, who in real life uh, is an accountant, a high-end tax uh, consultant for a variety of uh, uh, concerns. Um, She has been appointed to the Florida Aviation Business Association. Very cool. Yeah. I bet she'll be a great asset to that organization. Yeah, she's... Hasn't she... I I see her almost every year at NBAA because she... uh, she does some uh, presentation work there on behalf of her company, uh, Walcott and Associates PA. And I've met Mr. Walcott, nice guy. They're always roaming the floor there when she's not given a tax presentation. So way to go, Sue. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We also obviously see her at Sun and Fun. And and, uh, and just, just about every time I'm down there, I cross paths with her one way. Didn't she? She did some writing for you one time, didn't she, Jeb? Didn't couple pieces for safety and i would certainly entertain the concept of doing some more yeah yeah so big congrats to her and 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 congrats to to faba for being smart enough to scoop her up and take advantage of her her uh, skills that's great other shout outs what do you got anything i got nothing i i got i got uh one more okay Uh, what do you got jim got the crowd here um john collins who was my instructor for the uh for the atp uh, based out of uh, Winter Haven, Florida, uh, has a twin Comanche that I flew, and uh, uh, also does some primary and instrument instruction in uh, you know, another airplane. Um, but I just wanted to give John a shout out. He was a he was a pleasure to work with. He worked my butt off. We didn't we didn't uh, waste a single tenth of an hour. Uh, of training, uh, he he literally worked my butt off, mm-hmm. and I, I at one point I had to stop. I, my my brain is full. I'm I'm not learning anything right now. I just need to stop and take a break. And uh, um, <clears throat> uh, very good instructor. He got me through the ATP, and I uh, just wanted to give him a public thanks and a public shout out. Very good. Very good. Very cool. Anything come to mind, David, or are we done? 
We're done. We're done. Uh, thank you, boys. I appreciate it. It's always fun talking with you and uh, taking a, a beautiful summer morning to uh, get together. Uh, Dave Higdon is a uh, aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. Where can people find you on the internets? Oh, avbuyer.com, AEA.net, uh, and the real Higdon at the, on the Twitter machine. Very, very cool. And uh, Captain Jeb, sir, Jeb Burnside is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, uh, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb? Uh, working on that ATP thing. Yeah. Uh, that's what I've been working on. It was, it was uh, uh, I won't say life-consuming, but it certainly uh, focused uh, my spare time on uh-huh. the last Yeah. And uh, check me out on uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, GeneralAviationNews.com, AEA.net, and I think it's still Burnside J on the Twitter On the Twitter, that's right. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can follow me at Twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson, and you can learn more than you really ever wanted to know about me at JackHodgson.com and AroundTheField.net. Big thanks, as always, to Jeff Ward for his help with us uh, on the show notes and in the forums. Thanks to Mike Morgan, to Royce Earl, to Jim Goldman, to the many other listeners who have created the uh, awesome UCAP disclaimer clips. Uh, Please support UCAP by making a repeating per-episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. Uh, Get all the details about this at patreon.com slash uncontrolledairspace. And while you're at it, please go into iTunes and give us a review and uh, a thumbs up and uh, and all that sort of thing. It, it really helps out get the word out about the podcast. You can follow uh, the podcast itself on Twitter uh, at uh, twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's all one word, class, the letter G in airspace. Uh, you never know what might turn up there. You can also listen to UCAP in the free section of Sporty's Pilot Shop mobile app Takeoff, along with other podcasts and special Sporty's content. Get your UCAP hats, shirts, and other cool gear at the UCAP Swag Shop at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. And don't forget to check out the rest of the uh, UCAP website. We've got 10 years worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads. Uh, And finally, uh, chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, something you wanted to tell us? Live old, live long. Because uh, you may have heard this before. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Alpha Tango Papa. <laughs> Very good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>